This is the Commercial Property Show, Australia. Show number 45. And then having a close look at your competition. And yes, if you can buy a motel that's poorly run and your competition in that geographical area in that price point is mum and dad operators or whatever it may be, it can certainly put you in front if you're a smart and savvy operator. Hey, commercial property community. We are back today with another great episode Firstly, I want to tell everyone that CP Data is now live. Go to the website, check out your free accounts, your basic accounts, your pro accounts. Everything is there ready to go for you to understand commercial property markets like a pro. So go and check it out, www.commercialpropertydata.com.au. Now, in today's show, continuing the theme of motels, hotels, and caravan parks, I've decided to start a motel series where we do a deep dive into actually acquiring a motel asset. And I've enlisted none other than Jay Anderson to do a deep dive with us on this subject. Now, this it's really a, quite a complicated subject, quite a complicated process to be able to do it well uh, in terms of the due diligence to purchasing an asset. So we're going to go through step by step what you need to be doing to actually make a lot of money from this asset class. Investing in commercial property is a lot like a team sport. You need a lot of good players around you to complete a property transaction. No one can do it alone. If you're like me and want to surround yourself with like-minded people who have similar property goals, people who motivate you and push you to achieve more, then come and join the commercial property community today. You can find our private group on Facebook by searching Commercial Property Show Community or you can click on the link in the show notes. Our expert guests are just waiting to answer your questions in the forum and together we can help each other reach the ultimate goal of financial freedom. My next guest is a buyer's agent and third generation hotelier. It's Jay Anderson. How are you, mate? Yeah, good. And good to be back on the podcast. Thanks for having me. No worries, mate. You are very, very welcome. So, mate, you've been on the show before, but can you just tell listeners a little bit about your background in property? Yeah, so got a buyer's agency, but my family's background is in the motel industry and the accommodation industry. So my family's been actively investing in that space for over 60 years. So in the motel market, that's a market we know very, very well. Yeah, definitely. So, mate, today we're actually starting a series called Motel Series, and it's all about buying and operating motels. So being that you are a third generation hotelier, I thought you'd be the perfect person to do a really deep dive into this subject. Sound good? Yeah, looking forward to it. Excellent, mate. So today we're going to talk about why we would choose this type of asset class 
and also how to select a location to then further on actually select an asset in that location. So, mate, why would you actually choose this asset class? What are the benefits? Yeah, I guess following on from what I said before, for me personally, my family's been actively investing in this space for over 60 years. So this is a market we do know very, very well. With Australians' love of travel, owning a motel that's well-located, well-maintained and successfully operated, motels can be a very, very lucrative and long-term investment that can yield good results for a very, very long time. For the capital actually invested in a motel, a very high return is achievable, which is attractive. Furthermore, depending on the type of purchase you do, which we can get into a little bit deeper later on, but if you structure the purchase well, you can actually have multiple different exit strategies along the way, which is certainly appealing for an investor. Yeah, definitely. Always thinking about the exit strategy first. So, mate, can you explain what the difference between a leasehold and a freehold is? Yeah, so essentially... There's three different types of motel purchases. So there's a leasehold, there's a freehold investment, and there's a freehold going concern. So a leasehold is essentially where you own the business itself and you rent the building. So you have a landlord and you pay rent, but you own and operate the business. A freehold investment is the flip side of a leasehold where you own the real estate or the property and you have a tenant in the property who is paying rent and the tenant or the lessee owns and operates the business. And then thirdly, the freehold going concern is the best of both worlds where you own both the property and the business. And one of the points that I mentioned before about exit strategies is if you buy a freehold going concern in say two different entities, so you buy one, the freehold investment in one entity, essentially buying a leasehold in another entity, So yes, you've got the freehold going concern, you own the real estate and run the business, but one of the exit strategies can be that you strip off the business and sell the leasehold and maintain the real estate later on. And that's something that I've done with my family over the years. Yeah, I think that's really interesting how you can basically just pretty simply just recycle your money out of the actual deal pretty like seamlessly. There's no like you have to do these crazy add values. It's just right there sitting for you. You just got to structure it right. And then obviously you want to build up the business a little bit as well and then get a good return on that. Yeah, correct. So what we've typically targeted on in the past is if we can find a poorly run, poorly managed motel in a strong regional area where we know there's plenty of business in the town, just this motel or the business hasn't been run well, we buy the freehold going concern turn the business around and then sell a 30-year lease on the business and hold on to the uh, just the freehold investment. And I guess because I'd imagine that this kind of sector is still operated by like mum and dad operators, there wouldn't be like a really high level of professionalism across the board. Is that kind of right? Yeah, I guess you need to break down the accommodation market within a geographical area. So you're going to have everything from kind of three-star motels up to five-star hotels. So it's about understanding what market segment the property that you own sits in and then having a close look at your competition. And yes, if you can buy a motel that's poorly run and your competition in that geographical area in that price point is mum and dad operators or whatever it may be, it can certainly put you in front if you're a smart and savvy operator. Yeah, definitely. So do you think it's okay if you're getting into this asset class to start with a leasehold? 
first? We've never personally purchased leaseholds. I've done a lot for clients who have purchased leaseholds. Leaseholds can be a good entry point into the industry. And if the leasehold is run successfully, it can be a good stepping stone into maybe purchasing a freehold property down the track. But I guess my advice to anyone considering a leasehold is probably number one, make sure you know what you're getting into and what's actually involved in running a motel. And the reason I say that, and it's probably you touched on earlier about mum and dad operators, I've seen it too many times where inexperienced operators think that it'll be easy and fun to run a motel without actually knowing what's involved and then exiting the industry a couple of years later. Number two would be, I guess, if the funds allow, try and target properties with over 30 rooms. And the reason I say that is once a motel gets below 30 rooms, it becomes a lot harder for the numbers to stack up if you want to put managers in place to run the property. So typically you'll find motels with less than 30 rooms require the motel to be owner operated. So living on site, manning the front desk, kind of running it seven days a week. So over 30 rooms is typically ideal. Number three would be check the lease and check it again. Make sure you really, really understand what your obligations are as a lessee and ensure that you've got a solicitor that does have motel lease experience to review that lease for you because leases can be few and far between in terms of the responsibilities and obligations for the tenant and for the landlord. So it's really important to understand that. And the fourth and final point would be lease length. So typically with leaseholds, once a lease drops below 16 years, it becomes quite hard to on-sell the lease. So you either need to negotiate additional years or option terms to be added onto the lease, or at least understand and consider the risk if you are buying a leasehold with less than 16 years. Okay, that's really interesting because it's, I mean, I kind of like put self-storage and kind of uh, motels and caravan parks in a similar kind of basket because they're a real estate asset, but it's actually a business. The business drives the real estate asset and it's exactly the same thing in self-storage where if you're getting below, say, 30 units or something like that, you almost have to basically become an automated self-storage facility because you cannot handle a manager on site. And it seems like it's exactly the same way with motels. Is there any kind of future automations or anything like that for something like a motel where it could be run off-site, maybe like during a COVID world, like a contactless product? Yep, they've already got products in the marketplace for that. It started off in five-star hotels, especially for their, I guess, their loyalty programs, where if you had whatever the chain may be, you had their app, you're one of their loyalty members, you could make the booking on the app, check in via the app, because they've already got all your details. You'd be assigned your hotel room, and then you take your phone straight to the hotel room, put your phone against the lock on the door, and it opens up the door. So you never actually need to... um, go to reception and check in as such. Yeah, I think that's definitely like a really good add value add kind of thing. If if that's what the clientele want, I'd imagine that some clientele aren't really happy when it's automated like that and they actually want to talk to someone. Correct. Yeah. So typically, I guess in the industry, if we're being very general speaking as such, a model like that would be more suited to sales reps and corporates where they just, they're on the road. They just want to get in, check in, 
have a meal, have good Wi-Fi and get out. They don't want to be told what the local attractions are. They don't want to give the local map shown where the local supermarket and whatnot is. They just want to kind of in and out as seamless as possible. Yeah. So, mate, what kind of starting price or how much money, like, should have someone really put aside for a motel in a kind of starter range? The entry point for, let's say, remote, small, regional locations can be quite low. But I typically advise for clients for freehold investments that, 1.5 mil is kind of the ideal starting point. And the sweet spot for freehold properties, probably sitting in the 2.5 to $6 million range. Leaseholds can be a lot less than that. Leaseholds can kind of start from 300,000. And there's going to be, of course, exceptions to that rule, depending on the property size, location, whether it's a leasehold, freehold, freehold going concern. So I guess it really depends on the property itself and the experience of the investor as well. And so the average punter is probably going to need 50% of that deposit or at least a a 40% deposit to get that deal done, right? Yeah, correct. Okay, great. So mate, what kind of returns should you be aiming for first for a leasehold as a business and then as a freehold going concern and then maybe even as a freehold investment as well? Yep. So Again, depending on the motel's location, the performance of the property, the age of the property, the local economic strength and stability, returns will typically be in the range of, so leasehold motels, 25 to 28%, maybe 30%. Yep. Freehold going concern, 13 to 16%. And freehold investment motels, where you're just the landlord and collecting rent, 7 to 9%. But in saying that, like many of the commercial sectors in the last 12 months, we've seen some very strong yield compression. So we are starting to see motels sell below these guide ranges. So we're seeing some freehold going concern motels selling at sub 10% at the moment. Yeah, fair enough. I kind of just wanted to get a guide because, you know, like say like with standard commercial like investments, 7% was the number like last year, like you were trying to get 7%. But now it's 6%. Like to get a 7% return on a good property with a good lease, it's very difficult at the moment. So that's really good that we've got a range there. So, mate, you've decided that you want to buy a motel and you've got your price range in mind now, about 1.5. What's the first thing you should do? Due diligence and more due diligence. So it's critical to really learn and understand the ins and outs of the industry and the market that you're looking to buy in. So One of the best things you can do and one of the things I always used to love doing was go on a road trip and stay in a number of different motels in different towns, different size motels, different price points, and take notes of your experience in each of the motels. So what was it like in terms of finding the place, staying the place? What was the accommodation like? What were the amenities like? That on-the-ground research will be invaluable as you progress towards purchasing a motel. So you basically, I like to call it secret shopping. I call self-storage facilities just to see the service, to be able to understand whether or not they're full, like how full they are, and just have all these probing questions to kind of get information out of them. So you're doing exactly the same thing, but you're just going on boots on the ground, which is probably even more fun, but just in in COVID, it's a bit hard to do that. But yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So would you have like a spreadsheet that you'd actually write all this down in and create like a big kind of master files for that area? 
Yeah, you could. And, and I guess it's tracking and um, taking notes of the whole experience right from the beginning. So right from searching online, booking the accommodation, from websiting experience, right throughout the stay to checking out and post-checkout follow-up. Did they send you a link to leave a review? Did they do a follow-up? Did they add you to mailing list? The whole experience from beginning to end and just tracking that across all the different motels that you stay at. And yeah, you'll come back and refer to those notes time and time again. And like, if you say, for instance, you found a motel that you thought was quite average, it was poorly run, you could turn it around pretty comfortably. Would you go into that motel and talk to the owners and possibly see where they are in their kind of career path? Because at the end of the day, people do want to retire eventually. So things do get sold. Would you actually approach the owner and say, look, I'm interested in this hotel, a motel. What do you think? Yep, definitely. And I think people in this industry, I guess, approaching retirement age, and especially because the tourism and accommodation industry's been hit pretty hard with COVID. So I think there might be quite a few people that are wanting to retire. In saying that, the window between last lockdown last year and the lockdown this year some of the motels and other motels have seen best months they've ever had. So coming out of COVID, it's going to be a very, very strong time in the industry. But I think there are going to be a lot of opportunities for people wanting to get out and retire once that does turn. And are there any kind of like tricks or tips that you can kind of implement to reduce the risk of a next lockdown? Like, I guess automation could be one of those things that you could add in to a motel to maybe make it a little bit easier in future if there is lockdowns. Yeah, I guess it's probably about any business. I think what COVID has done is it's given everybody an opportunity to have a look at their business and see where they can streamline things, improve processes. When you have a look at, I guess, the typical, let's say, regional motel, how that's run compared to some of the efficiencies and processes that some of the bigger chains and bigger hotels have, there's a lot of opportunities where processes and things can be streamlined and improved within a motel, which can not only help return your return, but effort and automation and whatnot, that once things come back to normal, you'll be able to reap the rewards. Say like motel to like caravan park. I'm not sure if you've ever had any dealings with any caravan parks, but is it very much similar, the same kind of way you would run that? I mean, I guess it's a, probably a bit different, but if you've run a, a, a motel, could you run a caravan park? I don't have a lot of experience in caravan parks, so I probably can't comment too much. But at the end of the day, both are just providing a accommodation. So whether it's a caravan in a caravan park or a penthouse in a five-star hotel, the service and the model is you're providing accommodation. So yes, obviously, some of the processes and price points and amenities and services provided will change, but the core fundamental of it is it's you're providing accommodation. Yeah, fair enough. So, mate, how do you figure out the population like in a radius around the motel that could potentially use the facility? Yeah, so I guess it's really important and critical to understand who will actually be staying in the motel and in that local area. So what I mean by that is are they – coach tours are they travel groups are they seasonal travelers are they corporates people driving through and just doing a one-night stopover so once you understand that you can then start having a look at the population radius or the breakdown of guest types within that area so 
one of the good sources to get is Tourism Research Australia send out reports for different council areas. So you can have a look at the breakdown of what we call total visitor nights. And you can see that breakdown between international visitor nights and domestic visitor nights. From there, you can start having a look at historical trends over time and then match that data to total accommodation rooms provided within that area to have a look at kind of the number of overnight stayers within that area. Okay, so and that report actually tells you the amount of accommodation that's been booked in the area as well and then also the type of person, type of use of that area. So that report itself just only does the breakdown between international visitor nights and domestic visitor nights. If we then peel layers back a little bit further, when you're doing due diligence on a motel, you can have a look through their PMS systems, the property management system, and extract some data to have a look at guest postcodes. So you can start building some data behind where the bulk of your guests come from. Are they coming from within the local area? Are they coming from different interstate, from a capital city? Where are they coming from? And just really getting to learn and understand who your guests are and where they're coming from. So that kind of research, that's actually diving into an asset property management system. So that would be after you've checked a location, I guess. Is that right? Yeah. So I guess before you've done that, you've got to understand who the target market is within the area, and then it will become specific to the motel as well. So whilst an area might be, let's say if it was a coastal town, you might think majority of the business is seasonal holiday travelers, but the individual guest type data between properties may be very different and depending on where it's located in that town. So you might have a motel that is closer to, let's say, the freeway, which actually has a stronger mix of corporates and sales reps who are traveling through the area, as opposed to a property that is located closer to the beach, which is going to have a stronger mix of travelers. Okay, that's interesting. So with a motel asset, is location the absolute most important thing? Yes, but it's matching it to your target guest type as well. And it's really, really important to understand that. So I guess rather than being proximity to a beach or attraction or whatever it may be, my general high level rules for location are minimum population of 30,000, diverse local economy, so no single industry towns, an area that holds major events throughout the year. So whether that be Tamworth Country Music Festival, Agfest, Bathurst Race, whatever it may be, an area that's got strong annual major events in the area. Also areas that aren't dependent on a single guest type. So that it's not just, let's say, down at the snow where it's seasonal and it's only ever going to be the one type of guest type. You want a nice mix of guest types. And the last one would be avoiding any areas with an oversupply of motel and hotel rooms. Okay. So, I mean, I'm glad you touched on that there. How do we figure out if there's an oversupply? There's a number of different reports and data that you can actually purchase, but probably the best first step and the easiest one is to have a look across the OTAs. So an OTA is an online travel agency. So things like booking.com, Expedia.com, et cetera, and having a look at what accommodation is available in the area Start having a look at their fluctuations in pricing between, let's say, midweek and weekends, school holidays, 
and also having a look at their availability. Do all the properties in that area, are they all have rooms advertised and available to book? Or are some have no vacancy? Is there some only have certain room types available? And just getting an understanding for that. So yeah, certainly looking at the OTAs would be the best starting point. And where do we purchase those reports if someone wants to go straight for that? Yeah, so there's a website called STR. So STR basically can do a number of different things that the website, str.com. You can basically benchmark your property's performance against the local marketplace, look at real-time hotel inventory across your competitive market set, have a look at any development or market pipeline of new hotels, motels coming into the area, having a local industry trends, and then, yeah, your local tourism or council board will have more information as well that you can obtain. That was actually my next question to how do you figure out if there's future supply? I mean, because it actually is quite difficult if you're just going to ring the council and say, hey, are there any motels or hotels popping up? Is there any other way to do that? Or is that report the best way to figure out supply in the pipeline? So it'd be a mix of that report, also making the inquiries with council. And another good one is just calling the local tourism office and asking them a lot of the times they know kind of what's happening and what's being brought in, especially if it's going to be a bigger hotel or a bigger motel, they'll certainly know. And is there a tourism association, like in self-storage, the self-storage association, is there a governing body where they have meetups and all documents and things like that they share? Yeah, yeah. So there's a few. So the Accommodation Association of Australia, Motel Association, there's a number of different associations. And then there's the Tourism Research Australia. There's a vast number of different bodies. And say when you're coming into the industry, do those governing bodies, do they supply like uh, check-in forms and like things like that, like documents to run the actual business if you want to use them? No, so most of those would come out of the uh, property management system. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. So, mate, how do you actually figure out, I mean, you could see a motel or hotel is listed to be booked, but how do you actually figure out demand across the board? So we'll need to look at occupancy levels of your competitors of the existing motel, have a look at total visitor nights in the area, see how that fluctuates through different seasons, whether it be midweek, weekends, having a look at availability of motel and hotel rooms across your competitors. You can do that through OTAs, even just picking up the phone and asking them. And yeah, having a look at all the historical data and then current data for the motel that you're looking at. And in terms of price range, like you want to see historic price range, you want to kind of understand where, if the price is obviously, you want to go up, obviously. How do you figure out what it was last year, the year before that, and so on? So through STR, you'd be able to get some of that data and um, just tracking uh, prices over a long period of time. So with any investment, and especially if you're going into business, I think it's important to spend time before entering it to really get to understand it. So I've got spreadsheets that I track price movements across different motels through different seasons and whatnot, just to get an, an understanding of one of the indicators of a market saturation of motel rooms in an area is where you see prices dropping and people starting to undercut each other, which is obviously not something you want to get caught up or and involved in. So we do want to see prices trending upwards. Yeah, definitely. And then so say you've picked a location and you've also found an asset. 
in kind of range with a price range, you have a high and low price range of rooms to let. Where do you want to be in that price range? Like you obviously don't want to buy a motel where they're the, the price leader. There's absolutely no room to move it up. Do you kind of want to make sure that you're in the middle of that range or below so you have room to move? Yeah, that's an excellent question and very, very important in the due diligence phase is it's important to identify and see where your motel sits in relation to your competition within the area. So where does it sit in terms of price, offerings, amenities, the location and the size of the property? So you need to know where you sit in each of these categories and then focus on dominating that segment and don't get distracted of just trying to be the best of everything in every category and price point. So every town or motel will sit in its different segment. Is it a three and a half star? Is it a four star? Does the entry room price start at 130 to 160? And then at what is the competition of the next category up? Is there a bit of disparity between that and understanding that? You don't want to go into a motel where the most saturated segment of that market is what you're purchasing because then that's going to be competition they're going to undercut each other same thing it's also important to have a look at the categories either side as well so what i mean by that is if you're buying a three and a half star motel and there's not a lot of three and a half star motel competition in the area you think oh that's great but there's a market saturation of four star hotels in the area the problem is, is then they're going to be undercutting their prices where very soon a guest will be able to book a four-star hotel for the same price as a three-and-a-half-star motel. And they're always going to pick that four-star if prices are on the same level. That's actually really interesting. Man. So you've segmented it up into different star ratings. And I mean, coming into this, not knowing much about the motel or hotel industry, I would have thought that going into an asset Say you've seen that you've got a three-star hotel, but all the other three-star hotels are pretty average and there's room to move it up to a four-star hotel. But you also have to check the four-star hotels to what they're actually doing and their supply because you might be moving up into a harder kind of range. I mean, that's great. Definitely. And a lot of the times, the higher the star rating you go, the stronger the competition there's going to be. So knowing what where you sit in relation to your competition and dominating that rather than just having a focus of going, I want to take it from a three-star to a four-star or four-and-a-half. The higher you go up doesn't mean the better return and it can be a lot more a tougher competition. So finding that little niche, that little segment you sit in and just dominating that. And I just had probably what's a silly question, but I'll ask it anyway. Have you ever heard of someone going into a motel or hotel and actually downgrading it to a say a four star to a three star because there's better competition in that area is downgrading ever a a strategy that could be profitable i think so definitely especially with i guess one of the things in the accommodation industry is the star rating is a very very loose guide but as you would know as the listeners would know you could go to a four star hotel in one area and a four star hotel in a different area and they can be very very different in terms of quality amenities service offering it's more about i guess price point and offering and understanding what your target clients want so if it's corporate sales reps having a dedicated desk space really good wi-fi nice clean easy check in easy to find property easy parking 
those things are going to be more important than whether it's a three and a half or a four star. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, with the supply and demand kind of ratio, how much supply is too much supply? Like it's all very well saying I can have a look and say if this amount of hotels or motels that are available, but then is there really like, how do I figure out how much supply is too much supply? I guess it comes back to understanding the guest type as well. So is it seasonal yep. holiday travelers? And if it is, well, what are the tourism travel data for visitor nights? When are those peak periods? Is it winter? Is it summer school holidays? And then starting to track occupancy levels during those peak periods. Or if it's corporate trade, typically they're going to be near the main arterial roads, just off the freeway, wherever it may be. How many are along that physical strip? So that was where it comes down to a bit more of the on the ground research, going into the town, going into the area, putting the hat on as I'm a sales rep. Okay, well, if I'm looking online, what would I book? If I'm driving through the town, which one's the kind of first motel am I seeing? If I'm targeting corporate drive through travelers, well, a motel that's hidden on the back streets is probably not going to be ideal. You want something on, on a main road or something that's going to be certainly visible driving into the town. Yeah, fair enough. And with the occupancy levels, I know we touched on it before, but it, is it quite easy to just understand or basically just get a guide of how many motel rooms are in that hotel or motel and what the occupancy is? I'd imagine that a business probably wouldn't want to be giving out that information easily. Is that easy to actually find out? Yeah, so through the uh, str.com website, you'd be able to get a lot of that data. But if it's a property that's for sale, yeah, certainly all that information will be provided to you. Also, it's a good process to go through and have a look at any other motels that are either for sale in the area or for sale in a nearby town and having a look at the data on that as well and just building up your data set to have a look at competition in the area. Okay. And other amenities, I'd imagine that having like a restaurants and things like that would be beneficial as well. What kind of amenities do you need around the motel to really kind of tick that box? Yeah. So again, goes back to who your guest type is. If it's holiday travelers and who are they? Are they staying for the weekend because it's near a beach or are they staying there for a week or is it just an overnight stay? If you're in a hotter location or there's holiday travelers, having a pool is certainly beneficial. A lot of motels, the F&B department, so the restaurant is actually a lot of the time doesn't make a profit. Right. So that can be certainly something to be mindful of and understanding whether that motel actually needs a restaurant or is it very well located where your guests can walk out the front door and they've got a selection of different restaurants and a pub and whatnot where they can choose and dine? Or is it quite separated on the outskirts of town where there's nothing nearby? Well, in that case, then having a restaurant and a bar is very important. Okay, perfect. And like, so what are some of the red flags that you see when you're looking into a, a motel investment? Location, a lot of the thing that I see with first-time investors or inexperienced people entering the market is being attracted to the very strong yields or returns in some of these single industry towns. Let's say it's a mining town and you've got the miners has leased out the motel for nine months straight, 100% occupancy. The yields look absolutely amazing. But as soon as the mine's not running at full operation or whatever it may be, it can turn very, very quickly and become very hard to sell. So 
I guess, understanding the variance between the different yields and any perceived risk with those different markets. So that would be a red flag. The other one would be the lease. The lease is whether you're the investor with the freehold investment or you're buying a leasehold, the lease is probably the most critical part of due diligence because a good lease will uh, not only make it a lot easier whilst you're either owning that asset or operating the business, but in turn, it's going to affect or impact when you come to sell that property down the track. And are there any other factors that you kind of take into play, like increased amount of jobs like in the area, population growth in the area? And then also, I thought maybe infrastructure might be an interesting one, but then you've probably also got to watch the infrastructure that your motel might be getting diverted by a major highway or something like that that's being installed. Yeah, and that's a yeah very, very important point especially when we look at these regional towns or some of the, the the coastal towns and now you've got a big freeway being diverted around the town. If you were reliant on that drive-through trade, that can certainly impact the motel. The other one with infrastructure, if there are any major infrastructure projects nearby and it is more of a regional town, a lot of the times business will do really well whilst that infrastructure is in the construction phase because you've got the tradies, the engineers, whatever it may be, coming from different areas for that infrastructure project and they might be staying at the motel but you need to think when that infrastructure project has been completed you're going to lose that business so it's easy to go and think well need to find areas that are going through major infrastructure boom and new job creation all the rest of it but a lot of that doesn't actually translate directly to long-term sustainable uh, growth within the motel sector Yeah, I guess it could be kind of just basically propping it up for that short period of time, making it look really good for when you want to buy it. And then it's kind of like the old pump and dump with the shares. Exactly. And you'll see a lot of uh, savvy motel operators look at uh, selling their business at that stage because it's basically being dressed for sale because the numbers look great. (laughs) So it sounds like it's a very, very complex segment to kind of be looking into. And there's a lot of different kind of things that need to be addressed. Where can the listeners go to find out more about yourself? and possibly speak to you about acquiring a motel for them? Yeah, so my website is jayanderson.com.au. So it's J-A-Y, Anderson. Or just type in Jay Anderson Property into Google and I'll pop up. But yeah, more than happy to have a chat to anyone. And I do a um, yeah free consultation just to unpack things and um, yeah explain a little bit more about what I do and how I may be able to help. Perfect, mate. Today's guest has been Jay Anderson. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, mate. Data don't lie. That's right. In this segment, I'm going to share the information and data from CP Data, the newest commercial property platform on the market. So I'm going to share one location, good or bad, and give you a true reflection of what the numbers are saying about that market. All right. So this week's location is... Newcastle in New South Wales. Now, I really like this location because I'd like to live there one day, Um, but that shouldn't be a reason for you to invest there. The market has to be a good, solid market for you to invest in these locations. So just bringing up CP data, bringing up Newcastle, 
Um, I can see that the, the retail sector, the cap rate guide, uh, things are transacting between 5 and 7.5%. There has been five sales transactions in the retail sector in the last 30 days. Uh, there's currently 20 retail properties for sale and the listed stock on hand is 2.3%. So there's not much stock on hand for retail assets in this market in Newcastle. Now, moving on to the office sector, I can see that the the cap rate guide is saying that it's things are transacting in this uh, market for office at 45 to 7%. The sales transactions, uh, there's been four in the last 30 days and there's currently 40 for sale and also the listed stock on hand is quite low at 2.4%. So it's looking pretty good from a retail office perspective uh, in the sales data, in CP data. Um, moving on to the industrial sector, things are transacting at 4.75% to 7.75%. Newcastle is quite an industrial area. There are really quite some old parts of Newcastle with old factories. That might be why that cap rate guide's a little bit higher than your other sectors. Uh, in the last 30 days, there have been nine transactions recorded in the industrial sector, and there are currently 42 industrial properties for sale, and the listed stock on hand is 3%. So there's still quite a, a low stock on hand for each sector really in Newcastle. All right, moving on to the leasing data in CP data. Now, this is where it gets really interesting and really where CP data is so powerful. The platform is designed to give the everyday investor or property professional the knowledge they need to be able to identify under-rented property. So I've interviewed many, many, many professional investors and the one thing that they all have in common is they say that the best value adds is just identifying under-rented property and then slowly moving it up to market rent through refurbishment or even just identifying it and then doing nothing in this charging more at the end of the lease. So in CP data, there is a rate per square meter guide. And this gives you the power to be able to identify the range where the property that you're looking at buying sits in that market. So in Newcastle for retail, the rate per square meter guide is telling me that in the low range is $130 to the high range, $1,200. That's the rate per square meter that retail assets are being charged per square meter in that market. Now, the next really cool thing about CP data is there are two types of calculators in the platform. There's your very, very detailed cash flow calculator, and there is also a value add calculator. Now, it gets really interesting when you can find a property that has the net income, and then also you need to have the total net lettable area of the property. You put that information in to the value add calculator and it will tell you what the current rent is per square meter for that property. Now, if you've found a property and you find that, hang on, the rate per square meter is actually extremely low. So 
say it was $100 and in a retail sector and CP data is telling you that, hang on, the actual rent, the current market rent per square meter for a retail asset is $130 to $1,200. So you can clearly see there that there is at least a $20 to $30 discrepancy in the rate per square meter. So all you need to do is purchase that asset and move it up. So what you would do is, um, after you've put in the investment details, the price that they want for it, the uh, net income, and also the net lettable area, then you enter the current market conditions. So say you enter $130 per square meter, um, you'd enter the same cap rate because it's currently being transacted at, at the same cap rate, which that won't make a difference. And then, and then you can also have additional income. So you might find a property where there's a bit of space that's not really being utilized. You might be able to um, rent that out to someone as storage for say $5,000 a year. You can add that in and then the value ag calculator will tell you exactly how much value you're creating by just upping the rent and also finding a little bit of extra income in that property. So it'll tell you exactly down to the dollar um, what you've increased the property by, um, how much equity you've increased it by, and then what the new value of that property is. So it's really, really powerful. And this is the real reason behind creating this platform is to be able to identify properties that can have value added to them very, very easily. So just going through the market conditions uh, at the moment for Newcastle in the last 30 days, rate per square meter guide is 130 to $1,200 in the retail sector. There have been six new leases written and there are currently 109 properties for lease. The listed vacancy rate is 12.3%. So you can really get a good idea of what's actually happening in that market, how vacant it is, and if you want to go into that market. Going to office sector, the rate per square meter guy is $170 to $430. There's been 14 new leases written in the office sector in Newcastle. So that might have something to do with the working from home movement that's happening. Um, businesses are moving to different places where you don't need to be centrally located around a big CBD. There's currently 252 properties for lease in the office sector in Newcastle and the listed vacancy rate is 15.2%. All right, moving to the last sector, the industrial sector. The rate per square meter guy is telling me that properties are being rented per square meter for $85 to $400 in the Newcastle sector in industrial. There have been six new leases written in the last 30 days. For lease, there, there are 123 properties for lease and the listed vacancy rate is 8.9%. Okay, moving on to the employment data for Newcastle. We track employment data in CP data. It's a big part of a commercial market. What's actually happening? How many jobs are there? And actually, what high income jobs are there? That's a, a very, very interesting one to look at. So population of Newcastle itself is around the 170,000 Mark, that probably has gone up since COVID-19. The total amount of jobs in the area in the last 30 days was 1,631. 
And this is what's really interesting is one of the metrics that we track in CP data is the high income jobs. There's 503 high income jobs in the area. That's actually represents 30% of the jobs available. That's, that's pretty high. So if you're looking at that from a perspective of capital growth in a couple of years, there's going to be people in that area with a higher disposable income so they can spend more money on things in the area. So commercial properties in that area, say your retail market, could be getting a bit of a boost because there's high disposable income in that area. That obviously puts pressure on residential property prices and then in turn could potentially put pressure on commercial property as well. So the next really cool thing is actually probably one of the most powerful things of CP data is the spreadsheet filter mode. It's just called filter mode for short. Uh, It acts like a spreadsheet. The pro users are the only users that have access to this part of the platform. And basically, you can use it like a spreadsheet um, with all the data, all the metrics and everything. So say you wanted to find a location that has very, very low vacancy um, and you want a 6% cap rate, you can filter down to be able to find that location for you. So if you're not hung up on a location, this gives you the ability to find what you're looking for anywhere across Australia. So you could find a location that has your minimum requirements as an investor and you can basically see all across Australia. So it's really powerful. You could find locations that have the highest amount of sales transactions, the highest amount of new leases, the lowest amount of uh, for lease, highest amount of total jobs it's it's really really detailed and extensive you know this this is why only the pro users get to have access to this because it directs you to a location that is goals so this is why the pro users are the only users that have access to this so that wraps up this week's data don't lie the location was newcastle And if you'd like to check out CP Data, you can try it for free. So if you want to go to www.commercialpropertydata.com.au and start harnessing the power of data today. That brings us to the end of the show. Thank you to Jay Anderson for the interview and Kevin McLeod for the music. And remember, in the words of Grant Cardone... Success is your duty, obligation, and responsibility. I'm Andrew Bean, signing off. This has been a Developer Life production.